0: You're listening to the Gospel of Mark, a series preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Tonight is going to be a little bit different than usual, I think. I think it'll be a little bit more like a Bible study than anything else, and I'm excited about that. And so, I I know you've heard this before. It's something we've tried to teach before, but when you go to the Word of God... Context is incredibly important. Context is king. right? It's, it's essential to understand what is being said, what the author is trying to convey before and after the passage in order to, to correctly understand what he's saying in that particular verse. I want to give you an example of how context is so important, and I think it's a, it's a humorous example. Uh, I've used this before, but there's a, a couple from northern Ontario who, who decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned to stay at the same hotel where they had spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of hectic schedules, it was difficult to coordinate their travel schedules. So the husband left Thunder Bay and flew to Florida on Thursday with the wife flying down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room, so he decided to send an email to his wife. However... He accidentally left one letter out in her email address. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a pastor who was called home to glory following a heart attack. The widow decided to check her email since she was expecting messages of condolence from relatives and friends. But after reading the first message, she screamed and then fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife. Subject, I've arrived. Content said, I know that you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and been checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> in the right context, that email makes perfect sense. But in the wrong context, well, it means something completely different. It can have pretty terrifying. You could come to. Terrifying conclusions, if you take that out of context. And I think so it is with the Word of God. If we don't go to the Word of God with the right context, then we can completely mess up what's being said in any particular place. One thing that's interesting to me is, I, I find it fascinating that, that we, we think of the Word of God very much like we see it today on our page, with, with heading at the top and chapters and, and verses and all those things, But you realize that it wasn't until about the 6th century that they introduced the chapters and verses into the Bible. And I think that's something that's been very helpful in a lot of ways. right? Because I can stand here tonight and say we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 verse 21 in just a moment. And you know exactly where that is. You You know how to find it. We can follow through together. Can you imagine if I said, hey, we're going to be like about a quarter of the way through Mark's letter. You know, it'd be harder for you to find. It'd be harder for us to do this together. It'd be harder for you to just pick up where you left off, right? And sometimes they're helpful. They they give paragraphs and they give kind of natural breaks in the text so you know where to stop and, and begin. But there is also a negative side to this. And that negative side is that it becomes very easy to view Scripture as specific verses and, and talk about that verse and pull it completely out of the whole letter. And that's, that can be a big problem. In fact, I think the vast majority of false teaching within Christian churches and with, within cults, it stems from this problem where you take something that was said, something about being rich. And all of a sudden you have the prosperity gospel. Well, what do you? How can you get there? Well, look at this verse. You're there. Right? And so there's so many false doctrines that can be taught very easily from scripture if you're taking scripture out of context. So tonight what I want to do is I want to use our text first to see how we might go wrong. It's kind of like a little experiment. Let's, let's see how we might go wrong and then see if we can put this back into the context it was written and if we can get the correct meaning that Mark and the Holy Spirit of God intended us to see in these verses. And so we'll be in Mark chapter four, verse twenty-one. Just remember that Jesus has just been teaching the multitude. He's taught this incredible parable of the, the four soils, and then later on, he explained exactly what that parable meant to his disciples, who seemed confused. And, and it seems like the way the Mark is writing it is verse twenty-one follows directly after verse twenty, in that there's no time break there. There's there's not no events that occur. He is still teaching just the disciples in in this smaller group about the four soils, about what he's been talking about. So I'll read verses 21 and 25, and then we'll kind of pick that apart. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid that shall not be manifested, neither is there anything kept secret that, but it should not, sorry, that that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that has to him shall be given and he that has not from him shall be taken even that which he has so you read those verses together and i wonder if they sound a little bit like short statements that are that kind of act like proverbs for us and part of the reason i think that i mean that's where my mind goes immediately is because i've heard so many of those short statements used in the past. And so when I read it, I'm, I can focus, laser focus on verse 21 and on verse 22 and on verse 23 and verse 24 and 25 seem to go together, but it really is hard to put that whole thing together as one paragraph. What, what's the common denominator? What's the common theme here? We don't usually get that far. And so we could take verse 21 And we could go the Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 route. Matthew 5, 15 and 16, Neither do men light a candle and put under a bushel, but they put it on the candlestick. And so we find that we are supposed to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We can read that part of it and say, well, surely when Jesus says a candle is a candle brought under a bushel or under a bed and not to be put on a candlestick, he must be talking about the same thing. Right? It almost seems like a parallel passage. The problem is it's not. And if we just assume that, then we immediately say, well, clearly what Jesus is teaching here is that I have the light of Christ inside of me and I need to go shine. So, so the light is not meant to be hid in me, it's meant to shine. So let's, let's us go out and shine. And that's a great truth. That is what Matthew chapter 5 teaches. But that's not what Mark chapter 4 teaches. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus uses the same analogy to teach something even different. In Luke 11, Jesus is the candle that is meant to shine. And so prior to Luke 11, he's saying, Isn't there something better than Solomon? There's something better than Jonah that's coming. And he is that light that is supposed to shine. But Luke 11 is not a parallel passage to Mark chapter 4. Luke chapter 8 is. And here in Luke chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 4, there is no break between the parable of the soils and this statement in Mark chapter 4 verse 21. Luke 8.16 records it this way. No man, when he's lighted a candle, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a candlestick, that they which enter may see the light. So here we have it occurring immediately after and connected to the parable of the soils. And so what I would say is, I think what he's teaching is that the light that is meant to be put on a lampstand so that it can provide light is the teaching of Christ. It's the parable he's just teaching. And by extension, the word of God. That the word of God is meant to be placed, not covered up in your heart and life, not covered up as it's, as it's taught, but it's actually meant to shine. And we're going to find that the common theme with all of these teachings is the response of the person hearing the word of God. And so here it's, are you allowing the light of the word of God to shine in you. Are, are you approaching the word of God expecting it to teach you something? Are you here even tonight with this idea that the word of God, it's, it's supposed to shine a light into my life. It's supposed to show me who I am and who God is. That There could be something life transforming happening tonight as we allow the spirit of God to work through the word of God. This, this, is, a, this is an awesome thing. We do. And really, it's an incredible privilege to be up here and to be able to open the Word of God and present it to you. But I think it's important we get it right, because as much as the teaching about us being lights in the world and Jesus being the light of the world are very important, it's also important to see that the Word of God is a light in our life. And it's our job to allow that light in our life to shine to all the places, to put it on a lampstand, not to cover it up in our life, Not to say, I don't like that part, or I'm only going to let a little bit of light through, but to let it all through. Let it shine everywhere so we can properly see ourselves and God. Let's move on to verse 22. It says, For there's nothing hidden which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that should not come abroad. And I tell you, this is a great verse if you want to get your kids and pull them aside and say, hey, listen. There's nothing that you do that I'm not gonna find out about. <laughs> right? Sometimes you like you know what they've done already, and you start asking them questions just because you want them to be like shocked that that you already know, right? Because you want them to think that that they are not gonna be able to hide things. And and here's the crazy thing, here's the wonderful thing. In Luke chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, that is the truth. Look at Luke 12, 2 and 3. For there is nothing covered. That shall not be revealed, nothing hidden that shall not be known. Therefore whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the house tops. So, so you get the idea there, the context there is when you try to hide things and, and say them quietly and make them, you know, like just between you and this person, but what you're doing is insidious and evil, that God will find a way to make it known. And we see that happen time and time again. There is no sin that you get to commit that never, that won't eventually be seen. Now, the only person that really matters is God. He sees it already. But the sin that you think you have so well hidden is already having a massive detrimental impact on your life. It's a sad thing that there are people, I think, that come to church and have a show. They have their church face, they have their church way of acting and living, and then they've got this whole other life that they're hiding. It doesn't work. Even, if it, even if, it, if it works for you, like the people at church don't know yet, you're ruining your soul. You're wrecking your relationship with God. And so Luke 12, it, it helps us to see that we can't hide our sin and think we're getting away with it. It's, it's crazy to think that. But that's not what Mark 4 is teaching. If we go back to Luke chapter 8, the parallel passage, we see that Luke includes this as well. In Luke 8 verse 17, For there is nothing secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed therefore how you hear. Again, it's connected to how we hear. It's connected to the word of God. By placing this statement back in its context, it is clear that it's the teachings of Christ that were once concealed or veiled that are now slowly coming into the light. That the thing that was once concealed is now being revealed. And what's amazing as you look at Mark's gospel in particular, is you see what's happening with Jesus is he comes onto the scene, he's proving who he is by doing miracles, but he doesn't Immediately outright say, hey, just so you know, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, and and you should all worship me. It's not how it happens. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. He teaches them in, in kind of veiled ways who he is. But all of who he is is not fully revealed until after his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And so this is something that is becoming unveiled as the time goes. And what's great is that in this case... He's, he's teaching it in a way where if people want to hear and know the truth, if they really want to know who Christ is, he's giving them enough so that they can see. But if they have no desire to know truth, they're completely veiled. I picture here Pharisees showing up. And these Pharisees, they're there not because they want to know the Messiah. I mean, maybe some of them were. But I think that the majority of Pharisees, they were there with the goal of trying to entrap Christ. Right? How can we bring him down? What can what will he say where we can we can catch him in the wrong words and and bring him down? And I imagine them going back to Jerusalem with this report. Yeah, we heard Jesus teach. He told a story about farmers, one farmer in particular, and, he, and the farmer had a bunch of seed and he was just sowing seed everywhere. And the other guys are like, okay, so like what else did he say? I mean that that was the story. there's lots of there's different soils and and he kept sowing the seed, and some of them grew better than others. and it's like what are you, what are you talking about? What is he talking about? They have no clue. And then another one pipes up and says, "Oh yeah, but he also talked about light. He seemed very concerned about where we put the light in our bedrooms, right It, it shouldn't be under the bed and it shouldn't be under a basket. It should be on a lampstand. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah, and the secret things will be revealed. And and you can see how as they say this, they've got nothing. And yet other people as they come to Christ and they hear about the soils, they know the farmer's god that that the seed is the word of God and that they're responding one way to the to Christ, right? And so it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant strategy that Jesus is employing here. And it allowed him for 3 years to Develop more and more followers and, and spread the gospel in ways where the people that had ears to hear would hear. And the people that didn't want to hear, they didn't have ears to hear, they would be blinded to it. Let's move on to verse 23. Verse 23, he makes it very clear. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And we understand fully that this is not physical hearing he's speaking about. We all have ears. You can check. Some are bigger than others. But hearing is not physical hearing. It's the act of the will. It is purposefully seeking truth and obeying it. And so if you have ears to hear, meaning you're willing to seek truth, you want to know what God has to say, and then you're humble enough to say, God, correct me and I will obey you. That's having ears to hear, the way Christ is talking about. Verse 24 and he said unto them, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear, more shall be given. And so we've heard that phrase somewhere else, haven't we? What measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Could he be saying the same thing as, as Matthew recorded Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2? He says, "For what, with what judgment you judge... You shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Same phraseology at the end there. But what's interesting here is that second part about what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again, isn't in and of itself about judgment. The only reason that Jesus applies it to judgment is because he begins with what judgment you judge. So he's, so Jesus is clearly connecting that phrase to this idea of judging. But if you had that phrase apart from judging, you wouldn't automatically connect it to judging. Does that make sense? So Jesus here is speaking at the Sermon on the Mount. Mark chapter 4, he's not speaking at the Sermon on the Mount. This is a different occasion. And so here, he's not making the exact same point. It's more along the lines of this that Jesus is saying. He's saying, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured out to you and still more will be added to you. So be careful about what you're hearing. Be careful about how you're responding to to what you're hearing. Because as you hear it and take it in, as it's measured to you and you receive it and you you obey it, more will be given. That's that's an incredible truth. It's not the same as Matthew chapter 7 Both truths are important, right? And so we can get that when we take this in the context. Pay attention to what you're hearing. Listen intently. And understand that what you're hearing, you're responsible for. Because with what measure you use it, it shall be measured to you again. You'll receive in kind. You'll receive more truth. I think there are a lot of people wondering... Why doesn't God doesn't show them more light? Why is it that I read the Bible and I just, I don't seem to get anything new, nothing exciting? Why is it that I hear about other people that they open up God's word and God seems to speak to them through his word? And for me, it's just, ah, I don't get it. Could it be that you're not obeying the light that he's given? Could it be that he has made something clear to you and you're still stuck there? Why would God continue to give you more instructions if you've already said no to the last five? And so I think God in some kind of miraculous, incredible way through the Spirit of God, as we obey him, he shows us more of himself and more truth. As we, as we move closer to him, he comes closer to us. That's what James teaches. But if we're not obeying, we don't just get to go to the Word of God and, and it's not just like going to come alive to us. Because we're not measuring it out, so it won't be added to you. This is the plant that brings forth fruit that is 30, 60, and 100-fold. Multiplies. Why? Because they're obeying. Verse 25. For he that has, to him it shall be given. And he that has not, from him it shall be taken, even that which he has. This verse is both an encouragement and a warning. If you obey God, I remember a time in my life where I looked at other pastors and I looked at other godly men and women in the church, and I, I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to be there. There's no way I'm ever going to know what they know, that I'm going to be self controlled like there, that I'm going to be kind like there. And some of the people that I used to look at, I don't completely feel that way anymore. And there are other people that I've met that I completely feel that way still about. Do you see what I'm saying? Because it's as we obey, God gives more. He gives what we need. He helps us in that process. And so I know that feeling of of sitting, reading my Bible and being like, I don't, I don't get it. Take what you get and obey it. And if you do that, you will learn more. And if you don't obey it, then you're going to be stuck there forever. And that's exactly this idea that if you have, it shall be given. If you have not, if you have not, in other, not, that, not that God hasn't tried to show you himself, not that you haven't seen truth or heard truth. I think everybody in this scenario has heard it. But if you have not, it means that you've not obeyed. You've not done any kind of, God, humbly, sh- I want you to show me who I am and, and, and what I need to do. I want you to change me. There's no teachability in that person. And so they have not. And, and the idea of it being taken away is, is that the thing that they think they have, it's, it's gone. And you wonder how somebody sat in church for so many years and didn't get anything. That's exactly how. It's taken away. In Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul provides for us a description of sinners who refuse to recognize God in their lives. And these, these aren't sinners who have never heard the name of God. They're, actually, they're people, just like us, who have heard truth and they've rejected it. In Romans 1, verse 21, Paul says, because, in, in verse 18, he talks about those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they've had truth, they've heard truth, but they're holding it unrighteously. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. This is the person who has given truth and rejects it time and time again, and eventually, that foolish heart of theirs is darkened. Yeah, they might think they're wise, they might think they're smart, they might think they've got it all figured out, But they are fools. Because they've rejected all of the the light, all of the truth that has been given to them. God, in turn, gives them up to the lust of their flesh. He allows them to to reap the consequences of their sin. And in verse 32, it's a terrifying thought. That these people know the judgment of God. They know they're going to be judged for what they're doing. They, they really, deep down in their heart, they know God is real. They know someday they'll answer to him. And yet, they're so fallen. They're so uh, uh, obsessed with their sin and closed to the truth of, of God that they know the judgment of God. and they And those that commit such things are worthy of death, eternal separation from God. But they not only do them, they also have pleasure in others that do them. Not only are they full-fledged into their sin, but they're calling others along. They're cheering those who are a part of those sins. How wicked, how awful, how tragic. And these are the people who have been granted the opportunity to hear and know truth. And rejected it time and time again. And what they have has been taken away. There is a lot in these verses. Um, And I chose to look at it this way because I hope we can see how easy it is to assume that we already know the lesson without understanding the context. If we read any one of those verses all by itself, we'd probably say, yeah, I've heard that before. I know what that was talking about. But in the context, it seems like Mark is making a different point. And and, and that Christ in this time is making a different point. I wonder if maybe the disciples had more questions about these soils. God, does that mean that the soils are just what they are and they can never change and there's no hope for the rocky soil? And I think he was trying to now he shed a light on on them and who they are. And now he's trying to say, here's a look at their response, their responsibility toward the truth that's given to them. And so all of these short parables or analogies seem to point toward mankind's response to God's word. I think that the point that Jesus is making is that we must be careful, that we must pay attention, that we must listen intently, and we must respond well to the word of God. If we would do those things, can you imagine how much further along we'd be in our Christian life? How much more mature we would have been? I've wasted so many sermons. I've wasted so many hours reading the word of God. Because I was doing it because I was supposed to. I was here because I was supposed to. But I wasn't here listening intently. I wasn't asking God to show me himself or to show me myself. I wasn't asking God to show me some truth in his word so that I could obey it and change. I was just going through the motions. How often do we just go through the motions? So I had a couple takeaways from tonight. I would say, first of all, that the light of God's word is to be approached with the anticipation of good. We should anticipate that this is this is a good thing. That God's word is good and, and allowing it to shine brightly into our lives. Though it might be a little bit awkward and hurt at, at first. It's so much better for us. If you were to think about the setting of an operating room. And then you were to compare that to the setting of... A romantic restaurant. What is the first difference that comes to your mind in what those two settings would look like? Operating room. Romantic restaurant. Sterile? Okay, good. Light. That's, that, that's what came to my mind first. That's why I used it. <laughs> when I thought about an operating room, I thought they're going to have bright lights shining right where the action's at. Because they need to clearly see the problem they need to clearly see the instruments that are that are designed, that are being guided to to remove the problem. A romant, do you know why they do, 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 do lights? Do you know why they have dim lights at romantic restaurants? At least part of the reason, because they conceal all of your flaws. You look across the table from that beautiful woman you've married, and you see no flaws because there's no light to see them, right? And even better she doesn 't see all my flaws that 's why i don't like these lights right <laughs> um, it's it really is you, you don 't go to a, you, you don't have surgery in a romantic restaurant because it 's too dim because you can 't see the problem and when we come to god 's word we are we should be putting it up and, and doing everything we can to let that light shine so we can see what we need to change so we can see where we 're thinking and going wrong so that we can run through the events of this past week, and say, God, where did I respond the wrong way? How could I respond better this week? Dan Smollers this morning talked about how on Wednesdays and Thursdays, Wednesdays and Fridays, he's trying to be less critical, or say nothing critical about people. And he's had comments like, well, why just Wednesday and Friday? And I think his response was, you try it for a day. (laughs) It's hard because it's intentionally trying to see our sin and we get really good at living in a romantic restaurant concealing the flaws and it's just it's i don't know if we think we're better off that way but we're not because if we were to bring ourselves into the light and let god's word shine on us then it would expose flaws it would it would hurt a little bit but it would give us the opportunity to try and change to try to be more like Christ. To let the Spirit of God work in us. We ought to be putting that light up on the lampstand. The last takeaway that I think we need to realize is that the hearer is responsible for what they hear. Now maybe that convinces you you shouldn't come to church anymore. You shouldn't read your Bible. I think that would be foolish because that, that's not getting the first point. That there should be an anticipation of good. That it's a privilege for us to meet together and to study the word of God together and to worship together. And then it's a privilege for us to be able to open our Bibles and to get into them every day. But realize that we are responsible. We're responsible for what we hear. We ought to come to the word of God thankful for it. We ought to come to the word of God with a humble spirit, uh, uncritical, but discerning. Uh, One of the things that's interesting is In Mark, he records it with what you hear. And in Luke, he records the same words, but he says how you hear. And I think those two things really do go hand in hand. You should be discerning about what you hear. What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Now We should be really thankful for all of the the ability we have to go online and to hear from really great preachers and, and study tools that previous generations could never conceive of. We have... So much access to truth and to things to help us to understand truth. And that, that can be a great thing. But we need to be discerning. You don't just jump into the first guy because you like his smile. Right? Because you end up at a long, in a really wrong place. We need to be discerning about what we hear. And how we hear it. Let's listen and compare to God's word. And say, does this, does this match up? Does this line up? The worst thing ever would be for you to, to listen to me and not really think about what I'm saying is biblical or not. We'd never want that. Pastor, would never want that. We want what we say to be the word of God. And, and we're human beings. And if we've made a mistake, we want you to be checking it against the word of God and and getting it the right way. And so you are responsible for what you've heard and for what you do with it. Your obedience. Come, listen, and then obey. I'll leave you with a few questions to ask yourself tonight and then a verse from one of my favorite songs that we just sang. Here's a question to ask yourself. Do I come to the word of God expectantly? Do I seek out teaching that is biblical and profitable? Do I possess a teachable spirit? Am I humble enough to allow God's word to correct me, to mold me, and to shape me? We ask ourselves those questions tonight. We can say yes. trying to be expectant, humble, and obedient to God's word, I think we're in good shape. and That's, that's my prayer for you. Let's, I'm just going to read the verse that we just sang. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the power within it. We thank you for the way that it's able to open us up and perform surgery on us. That it's able to root out the the evil, the bitterness, the anger, the pride, the lust, the greed, so many more things that we, we have hidden in our hearts. And God, we pray that your light would shine brightly on our on our hearts and that would reveal to us what would please you. Lord, help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to obey the light that you've given and in doing so bring you glory and walk closer to you. We love you, we thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.